nuclear Turkey. While that country is building its first nuclear reactors, three of them, in Okuyu on the Mediterranean coast, the country is moving forward with plans to build a second nuclear reactor site on the opposite side of the country, all with the support and help from Russia. Is this Russian altruism? Smart business practice? The good neighbor policy? Or might there be something more sinister and long-term in Russia's plans? Because that's what springs to mind when an important Turkish journalist tells you. Being the owner of the Akkuyu MPP, Russia got a military base in Turkey and became able to control the Mediterranean. And Russia has another attempt to have a nuclear power plant project across the other side of the Mediterranean. Russia, fulfilling its long-deferred desire for a military toehold on both sides of the Mediterranean, courtesy the Turkish nuclear power reactors? Well, when you see how the Cold War nuclearization of the world has switched from bombs and missiles to the placement of nuclear reactors, you understand how much more dangerous it is in that awful seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halady. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we speak with Turkish journalist Pinar Demirjan on the problems at the not-yet-fully-built Akuyu nuclear reactor site, including a recent and still-explained on-site explosion that registered on the Richter scale. But we also talk about what might be a larger plan by Russia to use Turkish nuclear reactors as a tool to manipulate a larger political agenda on the Mediterranean. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, and more honest nuclear information than we will ever hear from Bill Gates. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, March 30th, 2021, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting off here in the U.S., in Ohio, where two years after Ohio lawmakers passed House Bill 6, saying it was needed to save jobs at the Davis-Bessey and Perry nuclear plants in northern Ohio, and added hefty monthly fees to ratepayers in the state for their electricity. The nuclear fees in House Bill 6 made headlines last July when former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and four others were arrested in connection to a nearly $61 million bribery scheme to pass the law and defend the legislation against a ballot effort to block it. Now, 
The Ohio Senate has unanimously passed House Bill 128, which would eliminate fees for nuclear plants on Ohioans' electric bills, axe another fee on First Energy customers' bills, and eliminated another benefit for the Akron-based company. The Ohio House approved the changes the day after the Senate passed it, Besides rescinding the graft going to the nuclear power plants, House Bill 128 keeps $20 million each year for solar projects. Bill Gates of Microsoft Infamy continues to flog his book promoting nuclear energy, in which, of course, he is deeply invested, on every broadcast and online program that he can buy his way into. Gates and his company... TerraPower, are promoting a reactor type that the U.S. and most other countries abandoned four decades ago because of concerns about both nuclear weapons proliferation and cost. The liquid sodium-cooled breeder reactors, that's the term used for them, would be fueled by plutonium and produce more weapons-grade plutonium as part of its waste stream. It's a technology that has been shown through the decades of experience to be expensive, quick to break down, and difficult to repair. Not unlike Microsoft. There's a good article on why this technology is a bad bet in the current issue of TheBulletin.org from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. There's a brilliant takedown piece written by Mark Z. Jacobson, professor of civil and environmental engineering and director of the Atmosphere Energy Program at Stanford University. Heavy credentials there. And the title of this article is Seven Reasons Why Nuclear Energy is Not the Answer to Solve Climate Change. Jacobson's rebuttal to the nukes are green argument include the long time lag between planning and operations, the cost, weapons proliferation risks, meltdown risks, lung cancer risks among those who mine uranium, the risk of the resulting waste, and carbon equivalent emissions and air pollution. Translation, there is no such thing as a zero or close to zero emission nuclear power plant. That's part of the propaganda lie. We'll link to this article on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 510. In Iowa, a decommissioned nuclear power plant, Dwayne Arnold, just outside of Cedar Rapids, could become the site of a new massive solar energy project. Iowa's lone nuclear plant had operated for 45 years and was set to be decommissioned at the end of October as the state's energy portfolio swings more to wind and solar. But it was taken offline weeks early following extensive damage to it in the August 2020 derecho, which brought winds of more than 100 miles per hour to eastern Iowa. Putting solar up on decommissioned nuclear sites sounds like a great transformation for all that real estate. And we all know this one already, but I need to make it of record. The Senate has confirmed Deb Haaland as Secretary of the Interior, making her the first Native American to ever serve in a U.S. presidential cabinet. Haaland is a tribal citizen of the Laguna Pueblo with a record of opposition to fracking, the Keystone XL Pipeline, and other fossil fuel projects. Halland is a 2020 Nuclear Free Future Award recipient for her efforts to address the impacts of uranium mining in the American Southwest. Welcome aboard and thank you. 
And if you'd like some light reading, here's an article on the U.S. military missing six nuclear weapons. It also talked about 32 documented nuclear weapons accidents between 1950 and 1980. We will link to that. It'll be on the website. Over to Japan, where on March 20th, a 6.9 magnitude earthquake struck just 65 miles from Fukushima. While no deaths, major injuries, or severe damage were reported, Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority immediately said no abnormalities had been detected at three nuclear reactors near the earthquake. However, there was no report of any follow-up inspections, and that was way fast to come up with such assurances. Closer to Fukushima, residents of Itate have filed a complaint against Tokyo Electric Power Company, the operators of Fukushima, and the state of Japan for exposure to radioactivity. When the nuclear triple meltdowns happened in 2011, Itate, which was beyond the 30-kilometer radius, was evacuated late. The order to evacuate was announced on April 11th of 2011, and the inhabitants had one month to leave. During this time, those who had not left the area by themselves were exposed to radioactive fallout. 29 residents of Itate filed a lawsuit against TEPCO in the state and asked for 200 million yen in damages. That breaks down to $1.8 million in U.S. currency, but only around $60,000 per person if they even get that. They're asking for compensation because the authorities had told them at the beginning of the disaster that it was not necessary for them to leave. The lack of information about the increase in radiation levels deprived them of their right to evacuate and left them unnecessarily exposed. The Asahi Shimbun, one of five major national newspapers in Japan, conducted a survey of the nation's prefectural governors, with the exception of Fukushima Prefecture, and asked their response to a central government plan to reuse mountains of contaminated soil generated from land cleanup operations after the Fukushima nuclear disaster. No surprise here, the survey found zero support for the reuse of contaminated dirt for farmland development or road construction projects, both of which had been proposed by the government. Five of those governors flatly expressed opposition to any reuse, regardless of projects the government has in mind. A Japanese court has ordered the suspension of the Tokai No. 2 nuclear power plant, located northeast of Tokyo, citing a lack of evacuation plans despite persisting safety concerns over nuclear power generation. Residents of Ibaraki and surrounding prefectures have expressed concerns over the lack of evacuation plans, as around 940,000 people are living within a 30-kilometer or 20-mile radius of the plant. The judge said that the current situation poses a concrete danger that could infringe on personal rights of local residences. And what if you give an Olympic torch relay through a radioactive contaminated zone and nobody notices? Well, Japan's Olympic Committee went through with the torch run, but without spectators. The Olympic organizers had chosen Fukushima as the torch relay starting point to highlight the region's quote-unquote recovery from the triple disaster. But in recent weeks, the positive narrative has stalled. Some Fukushima residents argue the region has far from recovered, 
as you could hear in greater detail on Nuclear Hot Seat number 507, our anniversary Voices from Japan episode posting on March 9th. Several celebrity torchbearers have also pulled out of the event. In the UK, shocking news that in its integrated review, the country announced that instead of reducing the number of nuclear weapons to 180 by the mid-2020s, which is still a far cry from zero, it plans to flaunt its previous commitments and increase its nuclear weapons cap by 40% to 260 nuclear warheads. A reminder that under the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, they're illegal internationally. So the UK is definitely moving in the wrong direction. In Korea, five United Nations special rapporteurs sent a letter to the Japanese government communicating their concerns, warning against the release of radioactively contaminated water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean. The UN experts said the radioactively contaminated water poses major environmental and human rights risks, and any decision to discharge it into the Pacific Ocean cannot be an acceptable solution. In addition to tritium, which has generally been promoted as a low-level radioactive material whose risks are debated, this water was also found to contain high-level radioactive materials such as cesium and strontium, which can be fatal even in extremely small quantities. A complaint has been filed at the Hague-based International Criminal Court against France for alleged crimes against humanity over nuclear tests conducted in the South Pacific. Oscar Tamaru, the French archipelago's former president, said at the United Nations, this case aims to hold all the living French presidents accountable for the nuclear tests against our country. The Mururoa and Thangatuafa atolls saw 193 nuclear tests over three decades. Thousands of those exposed later developed serious health problems. And now... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that's out of week. Are you in the UK or planning to travel there sometime this year, specifically this fall between September and January of 2022? And might you be interested in a fun little side trip to tack on to your trip? Well, now, you can explore the mysteries and magical experiences that are awaiting your presence when you explore for three nights in Chernobyl. Yep, there is a travel center in the UK that is putting together a bundle for a three to four day trip to Chernobyl where you can have an experience that is quote unquote inspired by the hit HBO show. They readily admit that this is no ordinary tour because it will be a memorable once-in-a-lifetime travel experience, or rather, once-in-a-shortened-lifetime travel experience. They promise to provide a professional guide, lunch, and health insurance. That last part really caught my eye and set off my numnutsery radar. So I contacted the company. I told them I was going to be in England. I was thinking of maybe taking a side trip. And by the way, what exactly does that health insurance cover? And you know, 
after several go-rounds and the better part of a week? They still couldn't tell me. They did write to me, quote, If you practice caution, parens, go with an official tour operator, wear protective clothing, avoid glass shards and debris, close parens, you could get coverage for unexpected accidents or illnesses as long as they meet the criteria and conditions spelled out in your policy. And when I asked what those criteria and conditions might be, I was told that there would be more details available in the voucher I will receive after booking. In other words, buy the pig in the radioactive poke and afterwards we'll tell you whether you have any rights if you get sick from it. And no telling, of course, what the timeline is. I think they're expecting it to last exactly as long as the three days of the trip. And that's why the dimwits behind this planned side trip to Chernobyl for nuclear tourism, you are most definitely this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none nuts of the week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. But first, nuclear problems are going to continue to be with us forever. From uranium mining to weapons production to radiation leaking reactors to still not having a way to safely store deadly radioactive waste produced by all these endeavors, plus, oh yes, nuclear weapons, nuclear is government and industry not caring how they contaminate the world as long as they keep making obscene profits for few people and fool themselves into thinking they are immune to the consequences of their actions. Meanwhile, we all have to deal with the dangers of radioactive contamination that will not go away on its own, ever. Let's be honest. Nuclear is a deadly mess. And that is why you need Nuclear Hot Seat. To get into nuclear stories with facts, continuity, and context, as well as the healthy dose of skepticism, we provide a much deeper and nuanced telling than you would ever expect to find on mainstream media. We get behind the scenes, under the skin, and into the heart of nuclear matters every week with fresh information, an unrelenting perspective, and even, whenever possible, humor. That's why the time would be right now for you to support us with a donation. We make it very easy for you to do so. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button to help us with a donation of any size. That's where you can set up a monthly $5 donation, which is the same as a cup of coffee and a nice tip to the barista here in the United States, or provide a one-time donation of any size. Please do what you can now to help the show keep going and know that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here's this week's featured interview. One of the joys and rewards for doing Nuclear Hot Seat is my opportunity to connect with committed anti-nuclear activists around the world and talk about what is really important to them so I can share it with you. Today's interview is one stunning example of exactly what that's like. Pinar Demirjan is a Turkish anti-nuclear activist and a journalist who started writing about all things nuclear after the Fukushima nuclear disaster began in 2011. She speaks Japanese and English as well as Turkish and has been involved in global forums and panels 
where she presented information about nuclear projects and the anti-nuclear struggle in Turkey. Currently, she writes at Yesil Gazette and Civil Pages, and at the same time, she is project coordinator for Nuclearisize.org, which means nuclear-free. The group is a member of Turkey's anti-nuclear platform and Do Not Nuke the Climate Network. Pinar Demerjan lives in Istanbul, and we spoke on February 20th, 2021. Pinar Demerjan, it's so good to have you with us here on Nuclear Hot Seat. It's my pleasure and honor, Libby. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that you provide current information on the big nuclear picture for everyone. As we learn more about how the nuclear industry behave in other social, economic, and political structures, I believe our interaction can lead to a human chain reaction that can overcome the nuclear chain reaction and save our planet. Let's start out with a little bit about you. What is your background and how did you become involved in nuclear issues? About how I got involved in the movement. Uh, Well, I studied economics at the university and I have always been attending environmental protests. When Fukushima nuclear disaster happened, I was working as an auditing chief at a Japanese company. I remember how desperate I felt in the face of the radioactive disaster that happened in Japan, where I lived for a while. Then I started to question my mission in this life. Feeling sorrow for Fukushima, I was also expecting to hear the cancellation of the Akuyu nuclear project for which an intergovernmental agreement was signed with Russia in 2010. But on the contrary, the government declared that the Akkuyu project was to be continuing. Moreover, another nuclear power plant project was announced to be established at the coast of Black Sea in Sinop, which is located in the north and is one of the most natural places in Turkey. For Sinop nuclear power plant project, the government signed an intergovernmental agreement with Japan. These two developments faced me with my priorities. It was the time when I changed my life by becoming a freelancer to earn more time rather than earning money. As a person with proficiency in writing and speaking Japanese, I felt a kind of responsibility to reveal facts about Fukushima and establish a bridge between the anti-nuclear movements of Turkey and Japan. Since I was aware that the Japanese language could provide original information from witnesses of Fukushima and NGOs in Japan, I thought that my contribution could support opposing the projects in Turkey. Sooner, I started a network of Japanese activists. I also got in touch with environmental uh, organizations in Turkey and volunteered for Green Talk Association, in English I say, by the way, where I was asked to volunteer as coordinator of uh, nuclearsis.org, again in English means nuclear free project. Murtasan and I uh, became a great team and performed presentations for three years about the consequences and reasons 
of the Fukushima nuclear disaster. During these years, I also got involved in the anti-nuclear movement more in Turkey. Thinking on the nuclear chain, global power relations in this neoliberal capitalist world, my research interest grew bigger on nuclear risk and social movements as my activism and academic perspective have been feeding each other, I decided to make a PhD in sociology later. What type of government does Turkey have and how does that impact nuclear projects? Well, as you cover in your program, nuclear power plants are associated with many risks due to their potential for accidents, operation failures, and insoluble waste processes. When these risks happen to be real and turn into danger, they may lead to hazardous ecological consequences, which cannot be limited either geographically or temporally. But some circumstances increase the likelihood of the risk when the voice of civil society organizations and scientific review of independent experts are ignored. Because when there's no democracy, it means that there's no auditing function. In other words, there's no control of uh, civil society over the government, we can say. Or accordingly, nuclear power plant projects in Turkey can be given as an example of how risk can be doubled or tripled due to the well, political, economical, and social effects of the country. Indeed, uh, what we have been experiencing in Turkey since 2010, when the intergovernmental agreement was signed, is totally full of examples of how the civil society was kept out of the decision-making process of the Akku nuclear power plant project. What is the government's stated policy towards nuclear? Akku nuclear power plant actually is located at the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and is the most progressing nuclear project in Turkey. And the intergovernmental agreement was followed by a reactor agreement made with Rosatom for uh, four reactors. Uh, the type of the reactor is BDR uh, 1200. It's called generation plus three plus, you know. So this would be uh, made uh, via build on operate model. We say in like BOO, which means as a Russian side, Rosatom will build the reactors will be the owner and they will never have, they, I mean, the Russia side, will never have less than 81% of shares. Today, still 100% of its shares belong to Russia, which means even the construction area was given uh, totally free uh, to Russia. The civil society directly protested the intergovernmental agreement, I can say. But the type of the agreement didn't let citizens oppose through the constitution legally. When citizens reacted, uh, 58 of them were accused of opposing the government's decision. 
but the opposition was not avoidable by police or gendarme. Just one month after the explosions at Fukushima, a human chain of 139 kilometers was performed between Mersin city center and Akkuyu nuclear power plant site. So everyone from wherever they were and just got in hand in hand. In the same year, Greenpeace made a survey and the opposition against the Akkuyu project was about 75%. The citizens were only allowed to open court cases through environmental impact assessments, despite this opposition. Besides, I should say that even during the environmental impact assessment processes, the civil society, I mean the public, was ignored and public hearings were not performed properly. When civil society organizations, approximately 82 of them, uh, filed 13 lawsuits against the approval of environmental impact assessments, mm. all of them were rejected without any satisfying and reasonable explanation. On the day of the final court case for this environmental impact assessment, approval of this assessment, the president said that the nuclear project would be realized no matter what some environmentalists oppose. Finally, the environmental impact assessment was approved and reactor construction started in 2018. And now we hear that there are problems during the construction, such as cracks, water leakage, and explosion, actually, recently. That's what I'd like to talk about next. The Akuyu nuclear power plant recently experienced an explosion that was recorded as 1.2 on the Richter scale. What can you tell us about that? The explosion which happened at the construction site on the 19th of January is proof of the unfairness that we have been experiencing since 2010 and a sign of worse accidents to happen soon. When the explosion broke the windows of the houses and cars in the neighborhood of Akkuyu MPP site, it was recorded, as you said, 1.2 magnitude earthquake, but according to the statements given by Mersin governorship and Akkuyu uh, MPP, ground operation was carried out in a planned manner. At first, the explosive operation, I mean the dynamite explosion actually, dynamite kind of blast, uh, was told as it was for road construction. Then we heard another explanation, such as it was made for the construction of uh, prefabric houses for workers, which would be used for the accommodation of employees. These two different statements shows that there was a challenge to direct our perception to something else than uh, reactor construction. 
but even it uh, becomes an incident with the needs of two people were injured and taken to the hospital, we cannot mention about a planned operation anymore. Even it was planned, it became uncontrolled. It was obvious that the Akkuyu MPP management didn't act according to the exclusion, this kind of dynamite blasting regulation, and didn't make a warning to the villagers who were just two kilometers away. The Mersin anti-nuclear platform and non-governmental organizations, including various uh, professional associations, parliament members from relatively left-wing parties actually, reacted sharply and criticized Akkuyu MPP once more. What more can you tell us about the Akkuyu project? The Akkuyu nuclear power plant project is even harmful ecologically with its construction today, as it damages the nature and species in 10 hectares area, even before it starts the operation. The environmental pollution, even during the construction, worth mentioning. I can say that almost 6,000 employees are on site, which turns the Akkuyu MPP site into a town without an, any infrastructure. When I raised this issue for the first time in my article in uh, 2019, November, even the sewage waste in two camps is directly discharged to the stream water without any, any treatment system. And the pollution reaches the sea. Besides, the increasing worker population. They also disturbed the villagers in this Büyükeceli village, actually, I say villagers, but Büyükeceli village, as there is no social facility for workers after work. I mean, the workers usually visit the villagers' environment and disturb them. As a company that doesn't care about environmental issues, also doesn't care about the health of the employees in terms of COVID-19. During the pandemic, there was news that Akkuyu MPP was unfair and irresponsible to its workers and didn't apply necessary precautions. Everyday employees are forced to take the crowded service buses and eat in cafeterias physically closed one after the other. The reason for making no change to the construction schedule is that the government has been promoting this nuclear project for the date of the 29th October of 2023, which will be the 100th anniversary of the Turkish Republic. Despite huge economical and social problems of the country, powering even the first reactor is used as a symbol of a power by the president to attract the nationalist-minded people who associate having nuclear power with 
the power of the country. In sum, in the Akkuyu MPP environment, the workers' health and occupational safety is ignored, and environment is ignored. Finally, the negligence of nature, negligence of human life, negligence of risks and quality will inevitably end in a nuclear disaster. But the Akkuyu nuclear project itself is a great risk for the freedom and peace of the country because the Akkuyu MPP enables Russia to perform its historical dream by reaching the warm sea, the Mediterranean. Being the owner of the Akkuyu MPP, Russia got a military base in Turkey and became able to control the Mediterranean. When we look at the Mediterranean today, there's a power war between countries and Russia has another attempt to have a nuclear power plant project across the other side of the Mediterranean. Russia made an intergovernmental agreement with Egypt for Eldaba MPP. Russia gains power via its uh, nuclear power project by making use of the desire of authoritarian regimes. A similar approach is visible in the Middle East, which is nuclearized by the United States, Russia, and Korean nuclear power technology. The cost of the Akku project was actually huge. It was announced like $20 billion, and uh, Russian banks are now financing the construction for now. But uh, no wonder there's a benefit for Russia with a 15-year uh, purchase agreement for 50% of the total power, which will be sold at a guaranteed price for the first 15 years. The rest to be sold on the market. Currency fluctuation and the fall in the value of the Turkish lira also make the price guarantee at least 10 times higher for us. The guaranteed price, which is 12.35 United States dollar cent, is also a very problematic. When it's compared with the level of the renewable energy price, it's 4 cents. Although Turkey has the potential of producing 48,000 megawatts for wind energy, but using the only 5% of this potential and has 185,000 megawatt production potential for solar energy, but using only 28% of it. And currently the level in the production uh, produced uh, energy is only around 6% for solar energy. But besides, Turkey doesn't need electricity as its electricity consumption, its electricity consumption is almost half of its installed power. What other nuclear projects are currently being pursued in Turkey? Specifically, can you tell us about the Sinop project? Yes, the uh, other nuclear project is in Sinop, as you say. Uh, Turkey's north coast and was uh, planned 
to host a 4,560 megawatt power plant of four units reactor design via an intergovernmental agreement signed with Japan in 2013. The electricity would be sold for 10.83 cents in, in US dollars. These prices are always, and it's per kilowatt hour. To Turkey's distribution company, this price will be paid for 20 years. For the construction, an area of 10 square kilometer was deforested by cutting almost 1 million trees. But on the Japanese side, the reactor agreement was signed with Mitsubishi and the cost budget was increased from 20 billion to 44 billion United States dollars. In January 2019, the president of Mitsubishi announced that the company was to withdraw from the nuclear deal. After the withdrawal of the Japanese side, it, an environmental assessment was approved strangely, despite there's no maker, no exact reactor type for Sinop. MPP. But there was a mention of Plamenville 3 as a reference reactor, although no comments have been made, neither from the government of France nor Plamenville 3's original maker, Areva. Using the opportunity to be heard by activists all around the world, I do have a question here. Can somebody tell me how an intergovernmental agreement can be valid and remain as the first necessary step of a nuclear project after the withdrawal of its own maker company? I raised this question to an expert before, but was not satisfied with the answer. If this intergovernmental agreement can still be valid after the withdrawal of the maker, and its government, it means that this agreement, this intergovernmental agreement has no meaning. But here another question comes. If it has no meaning, how an intergovernmental agreement can avoid season of opposing it? During public hearings of the environmental impact assessment of the SNOP project, 17 citizens were accused and court cases were opened against them, just like it happened during the environmental impact assessment of Akkuyu MPP. With the government not being a democracy, what do you have to do to get your information? The AKP, which is the leading government also today, changed institutionary forces and established Turkey's Nuclear Regulatory Agency via a decree law just before Turkey shifted from the parliamentary system to the presidential uh, regime in 2018. Turkish Atomic Energy Agency, which was relatively independent of governmental organizations, used to be the authority for all processes of nuclear projects radioactivity-related accident cases, but they are all taken 
under the roof of the Nuclear Regulatory Agency, which is consisted of five members and the highest level official is the president. While its members are assigned by the president and are the only decision makers regarding radiation dose limits, court case issues in terms of exposing radiation, for example, and anything else related to nuclear power. Two years later, the establishment of the Turkish Energy Nuclear Mining Research Institution also followed to facilitate the research and technical function of the former Turkish Atomic Energy Agency. I made a comparison between uh, Finland's nuclear regulatory, STUK, S-T-U-K, just for an example, there's a big gap between. STUK, S-T-U-K, let's say, is independent of the government, but in Turkey, the head is the president. And we cannot mention segregation of duties in this kind of government-related organization in Turkey. Despite its wide range of tasks, we have never heard any explanation from the Nuclear Regulatory Agency of Turkey, uh, neither about the explosion at Akkuyu, MPP, nor some real uh, radioactive problems where there's no operating nuclear power plant, but there's a nuclear waste problem, which has been raised by parliament members, civil society, public or organizations, and journalists, including me. What other radioactive pollution-related problems are there in Turkey? You wrote about the Gaziamir case. Tell us about that. Gaziemir is one of the 30 districts of Izmir and unfortunately was recognized as Chernobyl of Izmir due to the nuclear waste that remained in the soil for decades. The nuclear waste was detected on the ground of a lead factory in 2006, but the factory moved away to another district of Izmir. For the pollution, the company was sentenced to pay the highest environmental penalty of 5.7 million Turkish liras, which is equal to something like 600,000 US dollars today. It was also confirmed by the Turkish Atomic Energy Agency that nuclear waste had been buried in the field of the lead factory. And the material under the soil was defined as Europium-152, with a half-life of 13 years, which can be formed in used nuclear fuel. But although seven years have passed, no legal action taken. Being at a distance of 75 to 100 meters from two primary schools with over 1,000 students attending each. It is located in the middle of the town. Civil society organizations claimed lawsuits in 2014 for the sake of public health and psychology, but the problem remains unsolved as civil society is 
excluded from all legal process. According to the statement by experts, the amount of the waste was known as 100,000 tons. But today, there are new facts, such as radioactive slag corresponds to 250 or 300,000 tons. This is emerging due to the spread of contamination. Ministry of Environment and Urbanization in 2013 had also confirmed detection of radioactive slag and warned the public against even using the groundwater for the risk of the waste mixing into the groundwater. The Nuclear Regulatory Agency should immediately start the decontamination process now and uh, radioactive slag should be removed and sent directly to the disposal facility. What final thoughts do you have as we close out our time together? As it was stated in the Nuclear Industry Status Report, cost of solar power production decreased about 89%, and wind power production costs decreased about 70%. On the contrary, the nuclear power production costs increased by 13%. We cannot just watch how the world gets nuclearized. Especially in the climate crisis era, we must establish international solidarity also for those who are in lack of democracy. Pinar, this has been an extraordinary experience learning about what's happening on the other side of the world and especially the insights as to how Russia is positioning itself through its work with Turkey. I look forward to getting further reports from you. You stay safe, healthy, well. And for now, thank you for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you, Libby. We'll have links to some of her work up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 510. Activists, Activists, shout out, shout out, shout out. Beyond Nuclear is providing a one-week window of opportunity for us to view for no cost two anti-nuclear films, The Beekeeper and 33 Days of Utopia. They're available to screen at home until April 6th and are co-sponsored by Beyond Nuclear, the Goethe Institute, D.C., and Heinrich Bull Stiftung, D.C. 33 Days of Utopia tells the story of how in May 1980, more than 800 people lived near the Gorleben, North Germany, in Free Republic of Wendland, a protest camp, and they lived there for 33 days, thus preventing drilling of a planned nuclear waste repository. The other film, The Beekeeper, shows how Katie Hayward, the beekeeper of the film's title, had just seen a news report showing the expanded footprint of the proposed two-reactor Weifla B nuclear power project on the island of Angsley in North Wales. Hayward's home, which her family has tenanted since 1532, was right in the plan's crosshairs. 
This was about Hayward's fight to save her bees, her home, and her rescue animals, while her physical and mental health plummeted. It is a harrowing, heartbreaking story of the ever-expanding ills created by the nuclear industry. There was also a discussion, it was live-streamed, with the filmmakers of both films, and we will link to that when it becomes available. We will link on this episode, Nuclear Hot Seat number 510. Calling all artists, the new National Radioactive Waste Coalition is looking for submissions for logos or logo ideas. This is an open competition to come up with a visual representation of this coalition of 37 environmental anti-nuclear, and social environmental justice groups in the United States, which are tackling the ongoing problems of radioactive waste. Despite the fact that this is for a startup, nonprofit organization, and they operate on a shoestring, they've set aside $200 for the person who creates the winning logo, and the top two runner-ups will each receive $50. This competition runs until Friday, April 30th at midnight Pacific time, And if you want to submit your ideas, your doodles, or even a piece of finished artwork, we'll have a link up on the website, NuclearHotSeat.com. Again, episode 510. And speaking of episodes, we just got the latest numbers in on the podcast rankings for Nuclear Hot Seat in various markets around the world. And I'm happy to report that we've moved up all over the place with some new entries. Under Business News Podcasts in Japan, we ranked number 58. South Africa, which is new, 45. Australia, which is new, 42. Russia, 30. I wonder if they're going to like this episode. France got 28. In the Republic of Korea, nuclear hot seat ranks number 27. And in Ecuador, which is a new entry, we're number three under business news. So understand that nuclear is an international issue. This is an international platform, and people are listening around the world. For those of you who helped us get to those ranks, great. And now send the link out to at least two other people so they can join too, and we can start kicking those numbers even further north. Because the more they show up on the algorithms, the better the reach online. Thanks to all of you for helping in any way you can. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, beyondnuclearinternational.com, the international campaign for the abolition of nuclear weapons, Cincinnati.com, National Radioactive Waste Coalition, thebulletin.org, kcci.com, 1945.com, and that's one nine numbers, and then spell out 45.com, AJUDaily.com, BBC.com, LeonardoDiCaprio.org, NewsAndGuts.com, KyotoNews.net, Asahi.com, KCTV5.com, ChannelNewsAsia.com, English.Hani.co.kr, France24.com, ScientificAmerican.com, and of course, the captured and comprised by the industry they're supposed to be regulating, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Thanks to all of you for listening, and a shout-out to Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers around the world. 
123 countries on six continents and counting. And we're going to start a new count soon because I bet there are more countries in there. Nuclear Hot Seat is syndicated for broadcast in the United States through Pacifica Audioport. It's a free service, and if you know of a nonprofit community radio station that should be or is interested in nuclear issues, let me know about them. Send an email to nuclearhotseat.com with the station and where it's located and an email address if you've got it. A name and a phone number would be great as well. But whatever you've got, send it to me. I will follow up because every time the show shows up, people respond people here, and by broadcast, it gets to individuals who wouldn't necessarily be looking for a specific podcast. So if you know of a radio station where we've got some chance of getting some footage, let me know. We'll get it up there to the best of our ability. Now, if you would like to have Nuclear Hot Seat delivered by email every week so you don't miss a single episode, it's easy. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, it's on every page, put in your first name, an email address, and you will every week receive an email as soon as the show posts with the link to that episode. You never have to miss an episode or go hunting for it ever again. We're also a participatory democracy here, within limits, and if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com and I'll do what I can to follow up on it. And for those of you who appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment, go to NuclearHotSeat.com, and look for that big red button. Click on it, follow the prompts, help us out. Anything at all helps, and we will really appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2021. Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. Hey, mention the name of the show, if you can, mention the website, and you're good to go. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that luck is a terrible safety plan when it comes to a nuclear reactor. That's it. You've just had your nuclear wake-up call, so now the challenge. Don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.